Good evening, everybody. Please be seated. It's a wonderful blessing to be in this wonderful city. And I want to thank our dear pastor, Andy, for his uh, long-standing invitation to come to Sheffield. So I always tell him, next year. <laughs> next year. And next year has passed many years. So at this, uh, in this particular year, when I was making a visit to London, so I decided to drop by at Sheffield. Yeah. Is it okay, everybody? <laughs> I suppose I'm a stranger to all of you. Amen? Yeah. Or no amen? Oh. So you see me on the TV all the time? And I suppose you have listened to most of my messages also on YouTube. <laughs> so what am I going to preach to you tonight? <clears throat> Two years ago, I was invited to speak at a conference in Chicago, the US. So this was a Korean church that invited or organized the meeting. So they gave me a welcome dinner that night. And one of the main person in the committee, a very young Korean girl, she sat beside me and she said, you know, I've listened to all your messages that are available on the YouTube. And I know all your stories and anecdotes by heart. There's nothing you can say that will be new. So I thought, oh my God, <clears throat> this girl knows everything. So what am I going to say? I only remembered a story that happened to Albert Einstein. I'm sure you all know Albert Einstein, yeah. right? At the height of his popularity, he was practically invited all over the world to speak at all the famous universities on his uh, theory of relativity. So at every university that he goes, he speaks that no other subject. And he has his uh, standard shall we call it sermon. And at every um, uh, lecture, after every lecture, almost all the students and all the professors, they ask the same question. And sometimes Einstein is invited to different universities or different nations on the same day. So after traveling around the world for several times, he was sick and tired of traveling. So then came an invitation to a new nation, to a new university that has never been before. But he was tired, fed up. Is it okay to use the word fed up? Yeah. It's an English word, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> so he was uh, expressing his uh, unhappiness to his driver. He said, you know, I'm tired of going here, I'm tired of going there. I don't want to travel anymore. But the invitation came from a very prestigious university. So the driver listened to Einstein's woes and he came up with a brilliant idea. You know when you're with a scientist, that anointing rubs on, <laughs> right? So Einstein's driver made a proposal. He said, sir, I have been to all your lectures all these years and I practically know your theories by heart. 
and at every lecture, all, they almost ask the same questions. And I know the questions by heart, and I know the answers by heart. <laughs> Since you are tired of traveling, why not we do it this way? Since they've never seen you before, you be me and I be you. <laughs> and Einstein liked that idea. It was something novel, you know. So they exchanged clothes. And uh, the driver took on Einstein's glasses and made his hair fluffy, like how Einstein's look like. And Einstein, you know, he liked the uh, novel idea. So he put on the driver's uh, cap and driver's clothes and they went to the university. And since no one has ever seen Einstein before, so the driver was welcomed with great pomp, with great respect, and he came to the podium and he gave a flawless lecture. <laughs> Einstein stood by the corner and he was amazed that the driver could give such a flawless lecture. Even he added some new points. <laughs> But Einstein was amazed. <clears throat> so at the end of the lecture, it was question time. So as usual, people stood up and asked the same questions over and over until something happened. A professor stood up and asked a question that no one had ever asked before. So now the driver was at a fix. He, you know, Wise people always rub their chin. <laughs> so he rubbed his chin and he looked at the professor and said, you know, his answer is so simple that even my driver can answer. <laughs> so the driver turned to Einstein and said, driver, please come <laughs> and answer the question. And Einstein, very humble man. He came up very humbly, stood very humbly at the podium and gave an answer to that question. And everybody stood up to their feet, gave a standing ovation. And he just quietly walked back to the same position <laughs> to where he was. So in the same manner, so I suppose you can speak better than me. <laughs> Shall we all stand up for a word of prayer? Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight in the name of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, my Father, for gathering all your dear children from far and near this evening. They have come, Lord, as your servant, Pastor Andy, had said, not to see the face of a man, but to hear you, what you will speak for the nation, what you will speak for the people, what you will speak for the remnant. Now I ask you, make your ways known to us. I pray that the heavens be opened and speak, Lord, from your throne. I now ask you, Spirit of the living God, open every heart, open every ears, 
Give them an understanding heart and a listening ear that they may hear what the Spirit of God will speak to this nation and to these people in these last days. Sanctify this place, Lord. Sanctify this place. In the name of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated, everybody. Before I begin, let me share with you that um, when we planned this visit in this year, 2019, and the last time I came to the UK was on the, in the year 2016, we did not know that UK will be at a crossroad. We didn't know that. The meetings were planned and uh, the Lord gives, tells me when to go, so I give the date. And then later on, we found out that during the visit in 2016 was a turning point in the history, in the destiny of the UK, because we were going to vote for Brexit. To or fro. And then after 2016, now, at this momentous time, you are on your way out. Yes. Right? <clears throat> that is the will of God. Yes. That is the will of God for this nation. Amen. But, till the last moment, you can either lose it, you can either lose your destiny or you can enter into your destiny. So we need to contend till the last day, October 31st. And incidentally, October 31st happened to be Halloween's day. So you should not laugh now. The reason is because all the witches all the warlords, they come out to make a great sacrifice. And I was told, Sheffield is where all the witches and warlords are. So, we are in a wonderful place. So you want to contend till the end that this exit will take place. Because UK will either be blessed or will not be blessed. It all depends with that exit. So you, we must content till the last. You know, we read from scriptures that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they all had the promise, 600,000 families plus the prophet Moses. He was not numbered with the 600,000. All the 600,000, including the prophet Moses, had the promise inside them that they will enter into the promised land. And prophet Moses was going to be their captain. So the captain is going to lead them to enter into the promised land. And for 40 years, 
they walked through the wilderness facing many, many challenges to enter or to achieve their destiny. And you all know the story that because of their disobedience, everyone who came out of Egypt with the promise died in the wilderness. And none of them entered into the promised land, including the captain. The captain who had the promise, you see, Canaan is like heaven. Just like there will be some in the last days who will not taste of death. They will be alive till the coming of the Lord Jesus. There will be several groups of people. One, believers. Then another group will be the friends of the bridegroom. The friends of the bridegrooms are a group of ministers who will be preserved by the Lord till to, to lead the last day's company, the last day's remnant to enter into the heavenly canon. And then there will be <clears throat> the hidden group of the remaining ones. If you read Isaiah chapter 49, verses 5, 6, and 7, it talks about the remaining ones. There are many, many people who have been preserved by the Lord to be alive on this world for eons of time. One such person is the Apostle John. The Bible tells of him that he will be alive till the Lord comes again. Am I right, everybody? Now, many of us, we only know that only John was spoken of to be alive till the Lord comes. But if you read Matthew chapter 17 very carefully, the Lord says, there are some of you here. He was speaking to the 12 disciples. He says, some of you here who will be alive till you see the kingdom of God come in glory, come in power. Now, all of you are very intelligent British people. Please tell me, what is, what is the number of sum? Sum means how many? How many? Two? Three? How many? Some. Okay, look, listen. Before you tell me the number, remember, total is 12. Okay, out of 12 is some. So tell me, how many is some? Five. Five is half, almost half. That's not some. Some. Three. Three. Okay, all agree three? Okay, I think you got your number wrong. <laughs> you got your three because you saw Peter, James, and John. Wrong answer. The Lord says some. Now why the transfiguration does not qualify for this? Because during the transfiguration, the kingdom of God did not come in glory. The Lord Jesus was transfigured. And 
Moses and Elijah appeared on the mount. But that is not the kingdom of God, isn't it? That's not the kingdom of God. So for the kingdom of God to come in glory and for some of you to be alive till that come, it refers to the end. Am I right? To the end. So which means there are more than one of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ who should be alive till the, for this prophecy to come to pass. Am I right? These are the remaining ones. The remaining ones. You know, I wrote a book called The Maharishi of Kailash. You have that in the book table? No. Okay, this book, the Lord had me write this book about this man called Maharishi, who is supposedly 430 years old, still alive living on Mount Karash in Tibet. Among uh, the few people who have seen him is a very famous Indian evangelist called Sadhu Sundar Singh. Have you heard of him? Yes. Okay, he is the only one who had seen him during his lifetime in the flesh, not in a vision, not in the spirit. He had seen him three times in the flesh and he was the first person to introduce this Maharishi to the whole world. So it was because of Sadhu Sundar Singh that the whole world came to know that there is a holy saint living up on the Mount Kailash who has been given eternal life by the Lord Jesus to be alive and remaining till the Lord comes again in glory. So I first read about this small little booklet in the year 1984 and several years ago the Lord told me to write the book with some added information that I had gathered from many other books about the Maharishi so I mean it was a compilation and I had a question in my heart since there was already in existence a small booklet why write another book and the Lord told me this. He said, the time has now come for these hidden ones to come out and to serve the remnant. And the Maharishi is just one of the many people who are alive and remaining, preserved by the Lord all over the world, but hidden from public eyes. And they have their work to do. So, there will be many such groups of people who will come to help the last day's remnant in the end times. So now if you look at uh, the Israelites, they all had the promise. But none of them except for two, Caleb and Joshua. Only two of them entered into the promised land and almost three million people died. They were so near, you know, so near to the promised land. They were actually 11 days away from entering into the promised land when because of a sin of doubt, 
they were made to go around the wilderness for 40 years. One doubt, just one doubt. One wrong word you speak will cause you to lose everything. One wrong action of the prophet Moses, just one wrong action, cost him his salvation. Am I right? It cost him his salvation. All his life, he had worked so hard, 80 years of his life, worked so hard to enter into the promised land. So near and he lost. So similarly, you are very close to October 31st. How many days away? 17? You are 17 days away from a glorious, wonderful future. Please don't believe all the lies that the media is telling you. Please don't believe all the lies that your politicians are telling you. Whatever picture they are painting to you is not what is going to happen. I say this to you with a word from the kingdom of God. God knows better than the politicians or the businessmen. Am I right? When the year 1999 was about to end, almost all engineers, scientists, and all the great minds predicted a doomsday when the year 2000 came. Are you old enough to know all that? If you are old, you must be as old as dinosaurs. So everybody was in a great state of panic. And all, almost all Christian authors cash in on that fear. And they all wrote tons of books and made millions of dollars out of scared Christians. So I went and prayed, you know, I said, Lord, what is going to happen when the clock strikes January 1, 12 midnight, 2000? And the Lord simply told me it will be just another ordinary day. That put everything as far as for me to rest. Nothing to fear. And now history has revealed to us when the clock struck 12, all the computers were working fine. <laughs> right? Nothing went zero, 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 zero. Do you remember that? So everything was fine. In the same manner, whatever fears that are painted before you, that if you come out of the EU, you will lose this, you will lose that, you will suffer this fate, suffer that fate, are just make-believe wrong things. You have a great future before you. Yes. This is number one. Now, so this is, was what the word I delivered in 2016. So this morning, as I was waiting on God and praying, in fact, I was supposed to meet with Pastor Andy and Heidi this morning for breakfast, when I felt a stirring in my spirit to wait on the Lord. And it was a good thing I did that. I'm sorry, we didn't meet. <coughs> and I felt the hand of the Lord come upon me. And when I waited on the Lord, I saw a vision. It was 9.50 in the morning. 
in in the vision i saw the flag of the united kingdom it's a very mighty large flag and as i was looking at the flag a hand came and tore the flag in two so i thought oh my what is this i thought i i didn't know the hand that tore belong to who did it belong to god did god tore the flag of the uk into two or who did it i didn't know so i i just continued looking at the vision and then this vision transformed and i saw the heavens open and i saw the lord jesus christ standing in the heavens and he spoke the following thing so what i'm going to share with you right now is word for word what the lord spoke to me about the united kingdom the first sentence the lord said was i will bless this nation yes but yeah. but and the but followed by nine things nine things the lord said he will bless the united kingdom but now there are nine conditions now i also want to add to you one thing i pleaded much and i prayed much for the united kingdom this morning and i will continue to do so tomorrow and during our three days conference in london as always the case is 3 million people came out of egypt only two entered into the promised land so that is a small remnant a remnant is always very very small it's never a large number a small remnant there were 12 disciples all the 12 told the lord jesus wherever you go we will go even right up to prison and peter the captain of the team always is the spokesman you all know that he was he spoke the loudest he said lord even to the prison we will go we will we will even die for you or die with you and you know the rest of the gospel that when the lord jesus was arrested every one of them ran away every one of them not a single one of them were with the lord but during the persecution the trial there was one man who stood by at least a little distant watching the whole scene and at the at the dying moments of the lord jesus christ out of the 12 disciples only one disciple stood at the foot of the cross and saw the whole scene so out of 12 one a remnant a remnant so there's always a small remnant and i hope and i hope you are a remnant are you if you are not a remnant you wouldn't have gathered here so what did the lord jesus say number 1 where are those who seek my face i will bless this nation but where are those who seek my face 
question number two. Where are those who take hold of me? Where are they? Where are they who seek my face? Where are they who take hold of me? If you read Isaiah chapter 59 verse 16, the first part of the scripture says, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. For the Lord to say this, he had looked through the whole of Israel. Now, we do not know how many millions of people lived at that time. Let's just suppose there were three million. Among three million people, the Lord said, he saw there was no man and wondered. How come? Let me paraphrase this. He wondered how come there was no intercessor. How come? So where are those who take hold of me? Where are those who seek me? So after asking this question, the Lord Jesus said, Each of them are busy doing their own things. Let's look for an example at Matthew chapter 22, verses 4 to 6. There the Lord Jesus told a parable of the wedding feast. In the wedding, verse 4 says, Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle and killed, and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they who are invited, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. Each of them are busy doing their own things. So because they are so busy doing their own things, standing in the gap for the nation is far from their mind. Seeking the face of the Lord is not a priority. They will say, they will say we will seek the face of the Lord. They like to seek the face of God. But when it comes to practicality, they are very busy. Very busy. We are busy about this, we are busy about that, we are too busy. No one is interested to lay himself on the altar and take hold of me and plead the cause of this nation. No one. Now this is the opinion of the Lord Jesus about the people or the Christians in the United Kingdom. Now please understand one thing. This, the Lord now is speaking collectively, not some really genuine individuals. So we are not going to include the really genuine one or two individuals 
who really seek the Lord. We are looking at that collective now. No one is interested to lay himself on the altar and take hold of me and plead the cause of this nation. Look at this scripture in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 7. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. There is no one who calls on your name. This nation is sinking. This great Britain, this great Britain who carried the torch of the gospel in hundreds of years ago. You know, you produce great, wonderful men of God like John Wesley, Charles Wesley. They were born in this nation, right? And they the gospel that they preach sent fires all over the world. And Scottish missionaries, the part of India where I live, Scottish missionaries had come, labored there, and many of them had died there and did not go back to Scotland. Their graves are still there in India. When I first saw their graves, my heart broke. These are true missionaries. They are not vacation ministers like today. Vacation ministers. Today, serving the Lord is like going on a vacation. You serve the Lord when you feel like serving. You don't feel like serving, you don't serve the Lord. And you just give the Lord one year of your life or two years of your life, and then you go back to your mundane business. But look at these early missionaries. They died there. They burned all breaches before they left the shores of England. And they brought the gospel to a dark continent like India. And they lighted up India. At least that northern part of India, you know. They lighted up so that all those people in the northern part can know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true living God. And I'm sure you can give me better history than what I just gave. The nation that brought the light of the gospel to the dark continent, not even not only to India, but even to Africa. Many wonderful British missionaries had gone to Africa and lighted up the gospel. Am I right? So all the darkness that has been dispelled because of the wonderful works of missionaries. Now this very nation is being engulfed in darkness. The darkness that left those continents has come to Great Britain. And what are you doing about it? What are we doing? Are you standing in the gap and crying before God? Are you taking hold of God and contending for your faith? 
big question mark. I understand from some of our uh, partners who are in England, especially in Leicester, in the city of Leicester, one of my former staff got married to a nice, wonderful man and she moved to Leicester. And several years ago, when I visited them, her husband told me with tears that many churches have been bought over by Islamic organizations and have been turned into mosques. So why did you allow that? Why did you allow that? And there is a wonderful Bible school in Wales, Swansea, Wales, started by Rhys Howells. Do you know that a Muslim organization almost bought the school? They almost bought the school if not for the timely intervention of a church in Singapore. A church in Singapore heard about this and they raised up millions of dollars to buy that school to keep the legacy alive. And because of their intervention, the school is still in Christians' hands. If not, it will become an Islamic theological center. And who knows? It could even be a breeding ground for terrorists. Right? We don't know. The possibilities are there. Am I right, everybody? So why are you doing this? Why are you trading your heritage? You know what you're doing? Please do not mistake me. When I say you, I don't mean you. You are a representative of the United Kingdom. Do you know what you are doing? You are behaving just like what uh, Esau did, who sold his birthright. You are Esau's. What you sell, you will not get it back again. No matter how much you will repent, it will not come back to you. Once you sell it away, even if you raise money to buy that place, what's gone is gone. Your destiny is gone. And you can never reclaim back your destiny. When our pastor Andy picked me from the airport yesterday, while we were driving from Manchester to Sheffield, so I asked him a few questions about some of the great heroes, uh, that some Christian heroes that I admire the most, like Smith Wigglesworth. He's one great man of God who I studied early in my Christian life, who made a deep impact in me for his great faith and the wonderful ministry he had. So I ask him, you know, are all their houses preserved? His face suddenly changed. He said, no. All sold. Gone. So why were they not preserved for the next generation? Why? Why the torch was gushed in the water? when it could have been preserved 
for the next generation to catch the fire and take the torch and go on further than where Wigglesworth had gone. Or climb on the very horse that the Wesley's rode and gone further than where Wesley's had gone. So why have you sold your birthright? Why? Why have you sold your birthright? You are in no better situation than Esau. Throughout the rest of his life, Esau was a nobody. All his life. Jacob became a somebody, but not Esau. You have a godly heritage. You were a front runner. Although there are many foreign nationals gathered here, but now you are part of the UK. You are no more from where you come from. I see one of my dear daughter from India. Uh, so from India, from Africa, wherever you are from, now this nation has adopted you. So if you are asked where you're from, never ever say India, Sharon. Right? Sharon, right? What's your name? Ah, I'm sorry, I mistake you for somebody. <laughs> ah, sorry. Huh? Ah. You're from this nation. This nation has fed you. This nation has clothed you. So you have an obligation. Your obligation. So what have you done for the nation that has fed you, clothed you, and given you a roof to lay down your head in peace? What have you done? What have you done? You have made yourself grow fat, but you have not done anything, even to shed a drop of tears for the salvation of this nation. If this nation goes to hell, God will hold you accountable for allowing this nation to lose her destiny and for causing her to go to hell. How many of you have heard of Richard Nixon? One of the former presidents of the United States. Now, just about that time, there was another wonderful man of God who lived in the US called Kenneth He Hagin. Have you heard of him? Yes. One of the greatest men of God that the United States has produced. So Kenneth He Hagin lived about the time that President Nixon was the President of the United States. And the Lord showed him a vision about the United States. What was going to happen in the United States? And after seeing the vision, and the subsequently, the Watergate scandal broke out. And then President Nixon resigned in shame and then a new president came. Now, several years later, the Lord showed Brother Hagin 
another vision quite similar to the first vision that he saw and he told the Lord I remember seeing something like this and the Lord asked him now please listen very carefully what did you do about that vision now I learned a scary lesson from that incident what did you do after seeing the vision so he became a little scared he told the Lord I did nothing and the Lord told him because you did nothing the Watergate scandal happened if you had done something about it that scandal would not have happened your president would not have made a mistake and he would not have left the office prematurely before his destiny and then the Lord said I will hold you and the church accountable on the judgment day do you know how scary that is to be held accountable so when I read that it scared, scared me so much that I purpose in my heart that whenever I see any vision I will do something about it so in the same manner what have you done what have you done now if you look at the scripture in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 7 it says here there is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you now look at the words take hold of you the word take hold of you in the Hebrew is Kozak C-H-A-Z-A-Q and it means to fasten upon it's like this you hold on to something you fasten upon that's what the word says take hold upon now that's exactly what the prophet Moses did in Exodus chapter 32 verses 10 to 14 when the Lord told him that he was going to destroy Israel and raise up a new generation out of him you know what he did he fell on the Lord and hold on to the Lord and pleaded with God for Israel he held God so tightly the Lord had to ask him let me go let me go similar to what Jacob did holding on to the angel the angel had to plead with Jacob let me go because Jacob would not let him go he held on to him so tightly that's this word Kozak to fasten upon like a leech you know when the leech fastens on you you cannot pull a leech out right that's the word Kozak you hold on to God and plead and cry until he says let me go I will do what you ask me to do that's what the prophet Moses did he pleaded with God he said Lord remember the covenant that you made with Abraham with Isaac with Jacob remember all that if you will destroy Israel now what will Egypt say 
What will these people say? What will all the surrounding nations say? He reminded God of the promises. So that is a clue. You remind God of Great Britain's great destiny. You remind God of the covenants your forefathers had made in this nation. In the last few years, the Lord had shown me that early covenants that forefathers, Christian forefathers make are very important in the eyes of God and God values them and cherishes them. So whatever covenants your founding fathers, Christian fathers make, they are very, very important. So try to find what they are. Once I was in the United States and I saw the first president of the US, George Washington, he knelt down and he cried profusely. His tears rolled down from his eyes and fell on the ground and he made a covenant with God that this nation will be a nation that will serve God. He made that covenant and that covenant was written <coughs> in the annals in heaven. And that is the reason why US is still alive till today. Because God remembers that covenant. And that is the reason why UK is still alive today. God remembers, you know, for all the ugly mess that UK is doing today, it should be cast into the bottomless pit should be cast into the lake of fire. If God doesn't do that, Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up in judgment to ask God, if you can send down fire and brimstone on us, these Britons are worse than us. How is it that you have spared them? So what is God going to answer them? The very fact that you are not perish is because of the compassions of God. The compassions. Not only that, you know, there are also people outside England who are praying for you. Africans are praying for you. Indians are praying for you. Chinese are praying for you. You have forgotten. So because you have forgotten and you have failed, God raises up others to intercede for you so that you may find grace in the eyes of God. You may find favor in the eyes of God. But this should not be the whole case. The sons and the daughters of the soil, you should rise up. You should take the baton in your hands. Because it's your destiny. Yeah. Others can help you. But they cannot take your place. Unless and until. You reach a point of no return. Then the Lord will take your call. And give it to another worthier nation. It's scriptural right? In the parable of the talents. The Lord told the man with one talent who 
who did not do anything about that one talent. The Lord told his servants to take the talent and give to a worthier person who will better do it. So you have a destiny. The ancient, now the Lord looks at the church situation. The ancient churches, when the Lord mentioned the word ancient churches, I understood in my spirit, he was referring to the mainline denominational churches in England. The ancient churches are busy cleaning their edifices. It sounded humorous, but I, I was scared to laugh. I was trembling when the Lord spoke these words. It was not a laughing matter. When you stand before the king of glory, and then he's speaking to you, you cannot laugh, you know. You cannot laugh. They are busy cleaning their edifices, meaning they just want to preserve what they have. They don't care about expansion. They don't care about multiplication. They just want to keep alive. So these are like the church in Sardis. They are alive but dead. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. You are alive. You have a name but you are dead. There is a name. The ancient churches, they have a name. They were all born as a result of revivals. Am I right? All the ancient churches, the mainline denominations, they were born of revival. Salvation Army was born here. Am I right? The Quakers movement was born here. Am I right? They were all born. The Wesley Church, the Methodist Church were born here. They were all born as a result of revival. So what has happened now? John Wesley and Charles Wesley were filling the Holy Spirit and they were speaking in unknown tongues. Look at the Methodist Church today. Look at the Salvation Army today. William Booth was a spirit-filled man who spoke in unknown tongues and moved in all the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. But look at Salvation Army today. It's just a social organization. What happened to the fire? What happened? They are cleaning their edifices. Making the exterior look nice. So they are just like what the Lord Jesus told the Pharisees. You are just a whitewashed tombstone. You look so nice on the outside. But inside, you are just dead bones. The Pentecostal. Ah, now you all come in here. The Pentecostal and the independent churches. They are busy building their own kingdoms. They are not building God's kingdom. They are building their own kingdoms. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 9, it says like this, while every one of you runs to his own house. They are not building God's house. They are running to their own house
to build their own house. The ancient churches are edifices, monuments. But the Pentecostal churches, which were supposed to be spirit-filled churches, they are building their own little kingdoms. It's my kingdom, your kingdom, you are your kingdom, I'm my kingdom. It's their, their lingo is me, mine, not ours, not ours. The kingdom of God is ours. Everybody is in the kingdom of God. It's our. You don't build my church, I don't build my church. You don't build yours, I don't build mine. But we build together the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if there is a revival meeting here and people got saved. It doesn't matter whether they become members of bushfire ministries or they go to somebody else's church. It doesn't matter. What matters is they are saved by the blood of the Lamb of God. That's what matters. And let them grow in the kingdom of God wherever they are. I am working for the same God and Pastor Andy is working for the same God. We are working for the same God. We are not working for his God is different or my God is different. Am I right, everybody? The last day's company of people should have a kingdom mindset. It's no more your church, my church. Our lingo should be the kingdom of God. That should be our lingo. The kingdom of God is magnified. The kingdom of God is edified. The kingdom of God is multiplied. The kingdom of God enlarges. Not your church is growing or my church is growing. I don't fish in your church, you don't fish in my church. Today, this is how we conduct revival meetings or evangelistic meetings. We go to another church and get their people safe into my church. It's true. You know, almost very regularly, in the street where we live, where we have our television studio and our ministry, just across the street, there's a church. And there's, there's a wonderful pastor, we have good friendship. And further down the street, there's another house church, or at least two or three churches all the way down our street. And very regularly, I used to find posters of Christian evangelistic crusades right beside our television studio, right beside. So I used to wonder, why did they put this poster here? Do they want all my staff to go to the meeting and get safe? Look, this is our problem, you know. We are not launching out into the deep to throw, to cast our net wide. We are just fishing in aquariums. <laughs> Your aquarium, my aquarium. Bushfire Ministries Aquarium. How many people come to your Sunday service? Heads vary, 17 from 25 to 40. Okay, good. So I start a church across the street. So all their 25, from your aquarium, I bring to my aquarium. 
Isn't this what's happening today? Yes, sir. About 15 years ago, I was standing, I was waiting for a bus. And I saw a young boy going around giving out some leaflet. So, and uh, I, he came to me and he handed me a leaflet. It was a Christian evangelistic meeting. So, and uh, seeing my orange robe, he thought I was a Hindu priest. And he was so excited, he, shut, he started to share the gospel to me. So I just pretended that I didn't know anything about Christianity. So I asked him, please tell me more about Christ Jesus. So the boy was so enthusiastic. He went on explaining, you know. Then I asked him a few questions that boggles even theologians. So I asked him those questions, and sure enough, he couldn't answer. And then later on, I told him, he said, young man, I am a evangelist myself. So why don't you take this track and give it to somebody else? You know what he told me? It's all right. You can still come to my church and get saved. <laughs> you can still come to my church for that meeting. I said, look, but this, it says evangelistic meeting. Yeah, yeah, you can still come. Come, come and get saved and be, join our church. This is the evangelistic fervor that present day Christians show from another aquarium. That's how we are fishing. We're not launching out into the deep. You know how many Hindus are still out there? How many Buddhists, how many Muslims are still waiting to hear the Lord Jesus Christ? So why are we not casting our net unto them. Today, you don't need to go to India. India is right under your nose. You don't need to go to the Middle East. The Middle East is right under your nose. You know what they say, what I've heard been say, there's so many Muslims living in London, they're going to change London's name to Londonistan. <laughs> like Pakistan, London Nistan and Birmingham is going to become a totally Muslim county yes they're going to introduce Sharia law I'm sure you know about this better than I do what's happening to UK what's happening and what are you doing you're sitting down doing nothing saying that that's Birmingham we are in Sheffield so why bother? It doesn't bother me. What happens there will spread like a wildfire. In the whole of Europe, France has the largest number of Muslims. And Belgium, almost, the city of Brussels, almost a little Middle East. What's happening? All these Christian nations, once upon a time, Christian nations are now becoming Hindus, becoming Buddhists, becoming Islamic. While those nations are becoming Christians. Those nations which you call the third world nations, the dark continent, they have been lighted up by the glory of God. 
Now you are going back to the dark ages like they once were. And you are receiving all the idols. All the evil are coming upon your land. And you are kicking God out of your nation. The people who claim to seek me. Now the first is denominational churches. The second group are the Pentecostal churches. Now the third group, people like us. People who seek God. People who are in fervor with God. So this message is addressed to them. The people who claim to seek me and love me only come to me to seek blessings for themselves for short gains. And a scripture for that is found in John chapter 6 verses 24 to 26. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Short gains seekers. You are seeking God. You are going for this conference to that conference. What is your ultimate aim? Get blessings for yourselves. You are not coming to seek the face of God. What is your purpose of coming? To know the ways of God so that you can align your lives to kingdom purposes? What is your purpose? Just to hear some prophecies? What's your purpose? At the height of Smith Wigglesworth's ministry, he was so popular, nations all over the world would invite him. Sometimes, the invitation coincides on the same day for several nations. And one day, he looked at the pile of mails of invitation and he said to his secretary, I have failed. That's what he said. So the secretary was surprised. What do you mean you have failed? He said, I have failed to show the people Jesus and they only want me to come to their meetings. I have failed. So where are saints like that who want to show the Lord Jesus? That is a true prophet. A true prophet is one who will turn the people to the Lord Jesus, not to himself. That is his heart. His heart is to prepare the bride for the bridegroom. So, the people who claim to seek me and love me, they claim they love me, they are only coming to me because you have something to gain by coming to the Lord Jesus. So if your prayers are not going to be answered, will you still follow the Lord Jesus? 
it is easy to shake your head and say yes now because you are not in a situation. You know, my secretary who is sitting here, she got married in the year 1994. And when she got married, I married her. And I gave her a word of promise. God will do a new thing in your life. Two months after, her husband died. This young girl, her aunt seated beside her, is the first convert in the family. And her aunt gave the best years of her life to serve God as a missionary. And she spent, how many years did she spend as a missionary? Five years. Five years of the best of her life as a missionary in Africa. And then her niece is the second person to get converted in their family. <coughs> and at the prime of her life, she lost her husband. Just two months after getting married. She, she had built up so much of dreams to serve God together as a couple. Now just like a balloon has been punctured, everything's been gone. Everything gone. So what could she have done? Threw away everything. No point serving this Jesus. No point giving my life to him. Look at what has happened to me. He has taken away my husband. Right? Anybody, any common believer would have done that. From 1994 till today, 25 years have passed by. And she has gone from glory to glory from zeal to zeal, serving God rather than backtracking. That is real discipleship. You follow the Lord Jesus, not for gains. You follow him because he first loved you. We don't love him. We never knew who he was. At least... People in Britain, you have a heritage of Christianity there. For people like me, we served 330 million gods. That's, our, that's my background. That's our background. We served 330 million gods in the Hindu pantheon of gods. And in every Hindu home, we worship at least one dozen gods. We have pictures of all the gods in the altars of our home and we bow our head, we clap our hands together and we pray to all the gods in our homes. This is our background. From the kingdom of darkness, the Lord chose us. We didn't know who this Jesus is. But the scripture says, he first loved me. Then I loved him. I did not love him out of a pure heart. I loved him because he first loved me. That's what we all are doing. You did not choose to love him by yourselves. He put in you the love to love him. So because he died for you, we should live for him for the rest of our lives. He is the cause to die for. A worthy cause to die for. A worthy cause for you to 
totally surrender everything. You know, a person in India or a person in Africa, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, we lose everything. We lose our family, we lose our heritage, we lose our property, a big price to pay. A big price. We are chased out of the house, ostracized by society, cut off from everything. That's the path we all walk through. The cost is not cheap. You don't face all this. We don't carry the cross. We do. You know, when I got saved, the first book that my pastor recommended that the new believers read is the one called The Cause of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a thick book, you know. My pastor said, every one of you must read this book. If you want to be a good Christian, read this book. So I bought the book and I read it every day. And the theme of the book is, when Christ calls a man to come, he calls him to die. That's the theme of the book. Christ, when he calls you, when you follow him, you just don't come alone. You take up your cross and you follow him, which means you die. You die, you really die, not you are in a coma. You know what's the difference? The difference is this. When you die, you really die. The dead knows nothing. But if you're in a coma, it's only temporary, unconscious state. You will come back to life. Have you seen people coming back, coming out of a coma? They're back to their normal selves, right? But have you ever seen a dead coming back to life? No, they're dead. The dead knows nothing. So God is, the Lord is calling us to die, not go into a coma. The reason why, even after getting saved, our old life still continues, old weaknesses, old sins still continues because we are just in a coma. Coma. We haven't died. If you die, you really die. Then the old should not continue in your life. The old is still continuing because we are in a coma. So what should be our attitude then? The answer is found in John chapter 6 verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which means you should give greater importance to your life in heaven rather than your life on this earth. Because here, you are just a passing pilgrim. How many of you have read the book Pilgrim's Progress? It took place in England, right? See, all your godly heritage. One of the great classics, Pilgrim's Progress. 
it tells us very clearly we are on a journey this world is not your permanent resting place that does not mean you all become hermits you celebrate everything you put on a garb like franciscan monks and then go about looking down on the ground have you seen those monks they never lift up their face and look upwards you know they are always walking looking down i've seen them they very have they have such an attitude of humility looking down you don't have to live like that you can live your life to the fullest however be ready to let go at a moment's notice nothing should be attached to your heart have you seen the lotus flower it's in the water but the water is not in it you should live a life like that god will bless you with riches because we need the riches to propagate the gospel of the kingdom of god however the riches must not get into your heart it should always be under your feet riches gold silver should be your slaves not your master if they become your master terrible so now the lord asks a question where are the true levites where are the true prophets where are the true sheep of my pasture three questions where are the true levites where are the true prophets where are the true sheep of my pasture who will stand in the gap lifting up their hands and letting their tears to flow in intercession who will do that who will stand in the gap lifting up their hands unto god and letting their tears roll down their eyes in tears of intercession who will do that in jeremiah chapter 9 verse 1 the prophet jeremiah says that my head be fountain and my eyes be tears and i'm sure you have heard about the prophet jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet day and night weeping for the perishing daughters of jerusalem who will do that who can say here i am lord ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30 and 31 so i sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that i should not destroy it but i found no one therefore i have poured out my indignation on them i have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and i have recompensed their deeds on their own heads says the lord god by now can you guess which hand tore the flag by now by now do you know which hand tore the flag which hand which hand 
Okay, hold on to your answer, okay? Hold on to your answer. So, let's look at these three groups of people. Who are the Levites? So, the Lord is asking, where are the Levites? So, who are the Levites? Levites are Numbers chapter 3 verse 12, verse 41 and chapter 8 verse 14 says, they are truly consecrated people. A Levite is someone who is truly consecrated. So which means Levites are those who are called, chosen and consecrated to serve the Lord. Numbers chapter 18 verse 6. So where are the Levites in the United Kingdom? Who truly are called, chosen and consecrated? Levites are also worshippers and musicians. Second Chronicles chapter 5 verse 12, chapter 7 verse 6. And chapter 29 verse 25, they are the Levites, the musicians and the worshippers. Today, in many successful mega churches, they have professional singers, professional musicians, meaning not born again, professional singers, not spirit-filled, forget about being spirit-filled not even born again professional singers in the last few weeks some of these professional musicians from some reputable mega churches around the world have renounced their christian faith have you heard about that now if you are truly born again why did you renounce your faith if you are truly born again There are gay musicians, gay worship leaders, all up on the stage. So what kind of an anointing will, anointing will flow from here to the congregation if you have an unborn again musician? Now, when I, when I was here, I looked at the stage here. There was our sister Heidi at the keyboard. And there was one singer there, another singer there, another keyboard player, another drummist over there. Now, these are wonderful people. Now, look at another scenario. Suppose you have professional musicians. One keyboard player, professional musician. Another keyboard player, professional musician. You know, in all my life, this is my 40th year in the ministry. In these 40 years of my ministry, I have sang the song, and I stand and I stand in awe of you. Have you sang this song? This is the first time in my entire life I've ever heard someone say, and I kneel and I kneel in awe of you. Thank you for teaching us that. That's the correct way to sing. Mm. We should rewrite the song. Not stand, kneel. You cannot stand before the awesome God. Now, because our dear sister 
is a true handmaiden of the Lord. She knew how to sing by the Spirit. If you have a professional musician, they can sing flawlessly in the perfect key. You know, speaking of that, I have a tremendous gift. I'm, have, you, have you heard me saying this before? Oh no, this is a wonderful story. I have a very special gift for singing. And I have this, the key that I sing doesn't exist in the keyboard. It doesn't exist. You know, if you look at the keyboard, there are two kinds of keyboard with 84 keys and 105. I sing on the 106th. It's outside the range. Special, because it's not of this world. <laughs> you know, some 20 years ago, I spoke at a church camp. And it is my practice that before I minister, I sing a song. The purpose is to bring everybody into a oneness. Because, you know, for 90 minutes, everybody are so glued listening to what I'm saying. And uh, so now you're going to pray. You need your heart and your mind to get into oneness. So for that purpose, I sing. So that particular day, so I turned to the keyboard player. I said, my dear daughter, do you know how to sing this particular song? She said, yes, uncle, I know that. In, in, uh, in the East, they never call the elders by name. They give them the respect. They call them uncle or older people, grandpa like that, never, never address them by name. That's our custom. So I said, okay, get ready. So I told everybody, can I, everybody please stand up, close your eyes. And this girl whispered to me, uncle, key. <laughs> so when I, heard, when I heard key, I tapped on my pocket. <laughs> I told her, yes, I've got the key. <laughs> so I went on. I didn't understand what she was saying. So after some time, as I was getting quiet, she said, Uncle, Uncle, key, key. So I looked at her. Yeah, it's with me. It's with me. So I keep on singing. Everybody, get ready now. Don't laugh. Everybody keep quiet. Uncle, key, key. So, and then she pointed to the keyboard. She said, key, key, this key. So, oh, that key. Okay, what, what to do now? I don't even know what is the key. A major, A minor, B minor, C minor. So I looked at, uh, I didn't know what to do now. I said, okay, Z key. <laughs> so after saying to her, Z key, I closed my eyes real tight. I didn't want to hear her or look at her anymore. So I, st I started singing my song. I love you, Lord. Okay, so I started, and I could hear the girl go, ting, tong, ting, tong. <laughs> she was looking for the Z key. <laughs> so, and I finished my song. And the ministry was all over. And I thought to myself, this girl doesn't even know how to play the keyboard. <laughs> okay. So, while we were lunching, I asked the pastor, what kind of a lousy keyboard player do you, you 
So the pastor respectfully told me, he said, brother, do you know this girl is a graduate of Trinity College of Music <laughs> and she's a piano teacher. I have been aping with a piano teacher. <laughs> so, and um, as I was going back to my room in the hotel, I didn't want to look at anybody, you know. And this girl caught up with me. And I was so embarrassed to look at her. And uh, she said, Uncle, please forgive me for asking you for the key. I said, I should be the one to ask forgiveness from you. I said, my dear daughter, you are such an eighth grade professional piano teacher. You should know very well that the Ziki does not exist. <laughs> How is it that you played along with what I was saying? She looked at me, she said, you know, you frequently go to heaven. I thought the Ziki really exists. <laughs> So after that experience, I never ever ask any keyboard player to play when I'm singing. <laughs> never. But they always will come to the keyboard to play, you know. And I have learned never to turn and look at them. I just close my eyes tight and start singing. And I will hear the sound, ting, ting, ting. And they'll be looking for the key. How can you find the Z key, right? And by the time I finish the song, then they'll press the right key. <laughs> so this is, this is the great gift that I have. But, but I tell you one secret. The glory of God comes down. The glory comes down. You have professional singers. Gay, gay, do you, do you know there are gays who are worship leaders today in churches? You have gay musicians, gay worship leaders. So what kind of an anointing will flow from here towards the congregation? A gay anointing. So what will happen to the whole congregation? They'll all become zombies. You are not, you will not become a sheep You'll become a crossbreed. You don't know what you are. A wolf or sheep. If you crossbreed a wolf and a sheep, what will it become? A monster. That's what believers today are becoming. A monster. Whom the Lord hardly recognizes now. You're not a sheep. You're not a wolf. Who are you? So where are the Levites? Who are truly consecrated who are truly surrendered, who are truly called, truly chosen, where are they? Number two, where are the prophets? Today, it's very glamorous to have the title prophet. If you go to Africa, everybody's a prophet. Everybody. I'm now sick and tired of that title, you know. Even the genuine title is so stinky today. Everybody's a prophet. 
Now, you know what is a true prophet? A true prophet is not someone who is a mouthpiece for God, but the scripture says in Jeremiah 27 verse 18, a true prophet is also an intercessor. He stands in the gap and he prays for the nation, prays for the people. A good example is the prophet Moses who stood in the gap. He was not only a mouthpiece to speak on behalf of God, but he was a true intercessor. Jeremiah, a prophet intercessor. If you look at all the biblical prophets, every one of them were intercessors. Abraham was called a prophet and he himself was an intercessor. So where are the true prophets who only glamorize by the titles? Where are the true? Where are the true prophets who not only give you words to make you feel good but also slaps you and puts you back on the right track to walk with God? Where are they? Where are they? And where did you go to? You go to, you flock to those soothsaying, ear-tickling prophets. So, you come back to the first point. It's the people who are not true seekers of God. They only want short gain blessings. You're only after loaves and fishes. You're not after God. Most of the followers who followed the Lord Jesus, they followed him not because of his doctrine. They followed him because they were getting free lunches, free dinners, two meals free. And in large portion, not just small portion. Let me give you one example. The little boy who came to the Sermon on the Mount, his mother gave him five loaves and two fishes. That was his quota for three days. But the Lord Jesus gave him so much more food that the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So the mother gave him only two fishes, but the Lord gave him Two times seven, 14 fishes. So who wouldn't want to follow the Lord Jesus? So there was a huge crowd following him all the time. So the Lord asked them, why are you following me? Is it because of the loaves? Is it the fishes? Or is it because you are carrying the cross and following me? Why are you following me? Why do you follow us? Why do you go to a certain meeting? Why do you send your offerings to a certain man of God or woman of God? Is it because they give you a good word? Why? They are no better than a fortune teller. Right? No better than a fortune teller. You go to a fortune teller or a soothsayer, you give them a dollar or pound. And they give you a nice word about you. Oh, your future will be bright and sunny. Who knows what will be tomorrow? Right? But it tickles you. 
like the weatherman, no? Tomorrow will be sunny and bright, but it's been raining. That's what uh, Pastor, your prophecy did not come to pass. <laughs> you know, yesterday it was raining. So Pastor Andy told me, oh, brother, don't worry, tomorrow will be a nice day. <laughs> tomorrow will be a fine day. You were deceived by the weatherman. See, the weatherman painted the picture. Nice sunny day. You know what is the real truth? In all the four times that I came to the UK, that is the weather. <laughs> An overcast, black sky, and wet. Wet UK is what I've seen. I've never seen a sunny UK yet. I've never seen yet. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> I hope your prophecy comes to pass. <laughs> See, a weatherman. Oh, tomorrow will be sunny. Tomorrow will be like this. Tomorrow will be like that. So do soothsaying prophets say like that. Oh, God is blessing you like this, like this, like that. Who knows whether that is a true word from God or not? Who knows? You know what is a, what is a true prophet? Look at Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. When the Lord Jesus Christ addressed the seven churches, he told them their past, their present, and their future. To say the future, you cannot judge it. You, you won't know whether it's real or not real. But if I show you your past, if by the Spirit of God I reveal your past, you will know whether I'm saying the truth or not. Because your past has already happened. And I cannot lie by showing your past because you will know whether your past really happened. And that's a true prophet of God who will show you your past, your present, and then you will know the future is also right. So where are the true prophets who will stand in the gap and lead the whole congregation to weep before God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, you read about the prophet Elijah. Not only he showed them the way of God, not only he demonstrated the power of God, but he also said, turn your face and follow the true living God. That is a true prophet of God. He did not make the whole nation of Israel look at him. After the great demonstration, he turned them and said, look at Jehovah God. He is the true living God. Now serve him, follow after him. That is a true prophet. If any prophet makes you look at them, then he is not a true prophet of God. Number three, where are the true sheep? So who are the true sheep? Or what is a true sheep? A true sheep is a true follower of the shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 4. The Lord Jesus said, my sheep will follow me. A true sheep is one who follows the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart. You follow his footsteps. And my sheep are in my pasture. That means you belong to the kingdom of God. You only eat 
in the place where the Lord sends you to eat. You don't just simply eat all the rubbish that you found on the YouTube. Do you know they are good, bad and ugly on the YouTube? Please use discernment. Because they are good things, wonderful things and they are also wrong teachings on the YouTube. Don't be gullible. And have you seen a newborn baby that is, when it starts crawling, it will put everything on its mouth, whatever it sees on the ground. Do, you, uh, do British babies do that? See, all babies are the same. They'll put everything on their mouth. They don't know what is right, what is wrong. They don't know. So today Christians are like that. You are tired of your regular church, so you go to the YouTube church. Are you part of the YouTube church? I'm sure you are. And in the YouTube church, you do not know how to discern. At least in your church, your pastor regulates who comes, who does not come. A good shepherd does that. But in the YouTube church, there's no regulators. Anybody comes, anybody goes. You, you hear good things as well as you hear rubbish things. But the true sheep will only eat from the Lord's pasture. He said, I lead my sheep to the still living waters, to the moving waters, to green pastures. When you are led by the Lord, you go to the right place. True sheep is a follower. You follow the Lord Jesus with all your heart. We have good teachers. The Apostle Paul himself said, follow me as you follow the Lord. So we also have good role models, some wonderful teachers. But at the end of the day, no matter how saintly a man of God is, he is still flesh. Still flesh, we are still bound to fail, bound to fall. You learn good things from them, but your eyes are on the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, now this is a word of counsel to you now. So earlier on is a word of admonition, a word of correction, now a word of counsel. Behold, the devil, now listen, earlier on you answered a question when I asked you who tore the flag and you all said the Lord Jesus tore the flag. I was like you, okay? Till this point, I was like you. Now listen. Behold, the devil is seeking to tear this nation apart from fulfilling her destiny because of Brexit. Brexit is the will of the living God. Because God wants you to come out of the snare of the EU. For Britain to enter into her second wind, the umbilical cord must be cut. The soul ties must be cut. The Antichrist is going to take root in Europe. You must be set free from there so that you can be a content 
against the works of the Antichrist government. If you remain under the EU, then you come under the curse. That is not the will of God. So the will of God is for you to come out. That is why God has now raised up a wonderful, stubborn-hearted Prime Minister. Amen. Your Prime Minister is like Donald Trump. No different. Am I right? Both of them raised up by God. I like your Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Stubborn man. Stubborn, don't care about anybody. A bulldozer. Just bulldozers through. He is God's man. Amen. He is God's man. So please pray for him. Pray that the devil will not raise other bulldozers to bulldoze him down. You should pray for his protection. You should pray that the chief prince angels of God will stand around him and give him counsels that the cloud of witnesses in heaven appointed over the great Britain will stand around him and protect him. And you should also pray for your queen. When I was flying over the Atlantic Ocean, when we were just two hours away from Manchester, I saw a vision about Queen Elizabeth. And the Lord told me that she is a very important person in the destiny of the UK. This is the reason why God has kept her alive till today. She has a very important destiny to fulfill. Until that is accomplished, she will not die. But as soon as that is over, she will die. Because her work is now over, God will take her home. But until that work is done, God will keep her alive. She is like Queen Esther. She is like that. That's the exact word the Lord used about her. She is like Queen Esther. So you please pray for Queen Elizabeth II and for your Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Two godly people whom God have chosen to stand before him. They are like the two witnesses. They are standing before the God of the whole earth. So behold, the devil is seeking to tear this nation apart. So the hand that tore the flag is the hands of the devil, not the hands of the Lord. It's the devil that is tearing the flag apart to pieces so that UK's destiny is not fulfilled. So how is he going to do that? By anarchy, chaos, discontentment, and lies, four things. Anarchy, chaos, discontentment, lies have been planned to be unleashed against this nation to tear into the Union Jack. This is the plan of the devil. So now the Lord tells you, let him who has ears to hear let him who has ears to understand dress himself in the warrior's garb 
and go into the heavenlies to which war against the evil plans of the devil. This is the counsel of the Lord for you. So two things we learn from this. Number one, put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 tells us that. And we, we know from tradition that there are six parts of the armor of God. Am I right everybody? Wrong answer. For 40 years of my life, I thought there were six. Until recently, the Lord showed me there are seven, not six. We stop at the sword of the spirit. And the Lord said, there's one more. Look down. And the, and the verse 18 says, praying always in the spirit. Now, that is a weapon. Praying in the spirit. Praying in unknown tongues. You enter into the spirit realm and you battle in the unseen. Praying in the spirit, you do not, see, no, your mind is no more praying. Once you start praying in the spirit, you become one with the realm of the spirit. And you are joined by angels. You are joined by the heavenly realm who then begin to give you information what you should pray, how you should pray. And your mind does not know what you are saying. Doesn't matter. Your spirit knows. And your spirit becomes one with the Holy Spirit. And you will begin to pray. The purposes of God on this earth. So praying in the spirit is the seventh weapon. Of the whole armor of God. So you need to put on the whole armor of God. And then go into the heavenlies. The warfare is no more on earthly ground. The warfare is in the heavenly ground. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. We are in this time of history where that scripture is going to be fulfilled very soon. There's going to be war in the heavens between Michael and his angels and against the devil and his angels. And what takes place in the heavenly realm? The remnant church in the earth will join forces with them, with Michael and his angels to war against the devil and his angels. We have a part to play. So you must learn how to put on the whole armor of God and you must learn how to mount up with wings of eagles and fly up into the heavenly realm to wage war there, not on the ground level. In conclusion, the Lord Jesus said this, Behold, I have said this to you before it will happen. So, what will you do now? I have shared with you all those things that the Lord has shown me. What will you do? Now the onus of responsibility is in the hands of the sons and daughters of this soil. The natural born Britons and the adopted Britons. I'm a visitor. Today I'm here, tomorrow I'm gone. But you live here. Whatever happens for good or bad affects you 
and your children and your children's children your entire generation even my my secretary's aunts two children are studying here they are studying here and they are almost settled down so their destiny is also affected so please better firstly you need to repent repent for your lukewarmness repent for losing your first love number 1 repent for losing your first love number 2 repent for losing your missionary fervor number 3 repent from idolatry number 4 repent from running after false prophets number 5 repent from not being fervent strong christians who will endure persecution number 6 repent from being namesake christians Number seven, repent from being lukewarm. With the riches that you have today, that is make your heart not cold, not warm. Don't care. That's lukewarm. Don't care. It doesn't make any difference. I'm well and good. I don't need any blessings from God. In 1991. I visited the U.S. for the first time. So my host was a wonderful American family, <coughs> elderly family, who were in their sixties, and they have three children, three boys. So the both the eldest son and the second son were married. The first son, eldest son, has two kids, and the second son has a newborn baby boy. at the time of my visit he was 17 months old and the boy was born with three holes in his heart within 3 months of his birth he had gone through three major surgeries to repair the damages to his heart and after three surgeries the doctor told the parents that the boy will not live beyond the ninth month of his birthday only he will only live for 9 months the grandparents are praying people they prayed and they prayed and they prayed the boy lived beyond 9 months and at the time of my visit visit he was 17 months old beautiful cherubic looking boy and one day he suddenly dropped dead he just died for no reason the mother just bathed him she clothed him and she made him play with some games she was cooking food for him suddenly she heard a sound and she came to see him he was already all blue dead 17 month old baby and before the mother called the ambulance she called me she said please pray this has happened so i assured her don't worry 
I will be praying. So I knelt down to pray. Within two minutes, I saw an angel walk down the hallway in the house where I was staying, carrying the boy in his hand. And I looked at the angel and I said, how come you are carrying this boy in your hand? You're not supposed to be carrying the boy. He should be with his parents. And the angel just smiled at me and said, his time has come to go. And the angel left. Three minutes later, the mother calls me and says the boy has died. So after the funeral was over, the young mother, the young father were all broken. They spent so much of money and everything was wasted. So I looked at the young girl. She was in her early 20s, I told her. It was September of 91. So I told her, I'm going to pray for you. Before the end of the year, you will conceive again. I promise her. She said, I will stand in the gap and plead before the Lord. And I will not let the Lord go until you are blessed by the Lord. And before the year ends, you will certainly conceive. And on the eve of Christmas that year, her husband called me and he said, my wife has conceived. So that was before the end of the year. And she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. As soon as the baby was born, guess what they did first? Had a cardiologist check the heart. Perfect heart. Perfect. The second year, another baby girl was born. Third year, twins were born. So for one loss, now they have four kids. So they were so happy. And on the other hand, the Lord blessed her husband and he, and the, he prospered in his career. So from a small house, they moved to a larger house because now they need five bedrooms to cater for all the four, four kids and the family. And when God blessed them, and then they bought another bigger house. And they bought bigger cars. Two cars, three cars. So as they were materialistically blessed, their involvement in church began to get lesser and lesser and lesser. From coming to church four Sundays, it became three Sundays. Then it became two Sundays. Then it became one Sunday. Then it became once in a while. And then after that, it was once in six months. So one day, the father-in-law happened to be the pastor of the church. So he just casually asked his son and daughter-in-law, how is it that nowadays you guys are not coming to church? And they say, listen to what they answered. They told the father-in-law, Oh, God has blessed us so much now. We don't need anything from God. We can just pray at home. Why go to church? Those were the exact words that came from their lips. God has blessed us so much now. We don't need anything from God. So why seek God? Laodicean Christian mentality. 
all blessed. You don't need anything more. You have all the riches, you have all the gold, you have all the money. Lukewarm. Are you like that? So seven things to repent. My dearly beloved brothers and sisters, you are at a threshold. Your nation can be blessed or it can be cursed. So please, let me repeat one more time. Pray ardently for your Prime Minister that all the proposals that he proposed will be unopposed by all the other MPs. Pray for all the other MPs that they will have the mind of God. Now, don't pray witchcraft prayer. Don't pray, Lord, make them be accept. Make them say yes. No, that is witchcraft prayer. You should not pray that. But pray that all the MPs in the parliament will have the mind of God. You pray that God will fill them with the knowledge of His will. That they will know the will of God and they will vote in favor of the proposal. And pray for your queen because she has the trump cut in her hand. She has the trump cut and the deciding cut. Pray that she will be bold. Bold to make the right decision. These are the two things you need to pray. And thirdly, put your life right before God. Let's stand up for a word of prayer. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. As we were singing this song, I see the Lord Jesus Christ standing tall and mighty over the United Kingdom. And he has a shepherd's rod in his hand and he stretches the rod over the nation and he tells me, Son of man, tell these people that I am judging them. I am judging their hearts. I am judging their mind. I am judging their ways. Tell them to seek my face, to know my ways. Tell them to bend their knees and to plead before me that I may restore them back to their former glory. 
that they may receive back their lost heritage and also they may also have eyes to see the new blessings new mantles new batons new scrolls that are buried deep in their lands waiting to be unearthed for these are the riches hidden for this last generation for their forefathers and their peers before them had labored and sown much for these rich deposits to be made known to the last days generation pray that you will have eyes to see pray that you will be given the spiritual eyes to see and to know where these are hidden pray that you will be given the mind to know how to unearth this hidden riches and as the lord is speaking i see with my spiritual eyes many many powerful mantles i see scrolls batons not just batons of an ordinary 12 inch kind but long spear like batons and also wings like eagles but they're not just like eagles but a cross between eagles wings and angels wings it's a cross like that and they are all stacked up one on top of another and hidden in the ground just like the parable that the lord jesus spoke about the pearl that is hidden in the field and the lord continues to say the last days remnant will receive them there are few here whose hearts are spotless before me whose hearts have been made white before me for i will give you eyes to see and hands to dig and a heart to know where they are that you may receive them and the lord also shows me a beautiful horse i see this horse this horse looks like an ordinary horse on earth at the same time it glows with light of the glory of heaven and the lord shows me this is the horse upon which your forefather john wesley charles wesley and others have rode upon this vehicle of transport represents their left heritage waiting to be reclaimed by this 
last day's generation. And the Lord tells me now, son of man, look at this horse. What you see is of the past and of the future. When, the horse, when I said the horse looked like an ordinary horse, it was the horse of the past. But when I saw the horse with the light of glory, it is of the future. This is reserved for this generation. And there are two persons here. The Lord has spoken to you something of a horse. And you have been prepared for such a time as this to receive that. Thank you, wonderful Lord Jesus. And I also see now an army of children waiting to rise up in this nation. And I see them filled with the glory of God. From the head to the toe, they all seemed just with glowing with light. Not just ordinary light, but within them, light is coming out and just covering on the surface of their skin, just like we see the blue atmosphere around the earth. This is the last day's remnant that should rise up in this nation. But behold, evil is planned against them to corrupt the children, to corrupt them of evil, to corrupt their minds, and to make them eat food offered to idols and to teach them how to fornicate. Behold, the children should be liberated. They should be trained. They should be prepared to mount up onto their destiny. They should be taught the weapons of the warfare. They should be taught how to wage war against the enemy, against the stealer who goes after to steal their souls. Pray for the younger generation. And the Lord shows me again, deep heritage in the land. And the land, the UK, that's all, kneel down right now. This nation is crying out to God. Unable to withstand the weight of sin. This nation is wobbling and sighing with deep sighs. Just like if you have seen a person sigh, their chest goes up and then comes down. In the same manner, I see the United Kingdom, the land, sighing up. It goes up 
and then it comes down. And the Lord shows me, son of man, see, it's about to burst. It's about to burst. The weight of sin is upon this nation. And I look at the nation towards where, what looked like the stomach of a person. If you put a person lying face down on the United Kingdom, the head been up on at where Northern Ireland is and the feet downwards, the part, the place where the stomach is or the womb of a person is, appears to be the center London area. Where it can give birth to either good or evil. There are two centers at your capital. A center for evil and a center for good. But the center for evil is larger in number and they seem to overtake the center for good which is smaller in number. Pray that this polarity will be aligned properly so that the good will overcome the evil. Pray that the scepter that is given to this nation will not depart from here. Pray that the scepter will not depart. For you have another call, another destiny reserved for you to bring the scepter of my authority and my kingdom to the southernmost part to where your nation is. And I see that there is a destiny that God has kept for Great Britain to largely affect the continent of Africa. That God will use Great Britain to bring about a mighty great awakening in the continent of Africa. That is your final work that you have to do. So therefore pray that the scepter will not depart from this nation. Pray that your borders will be secured so that no evil will come through the migrants who come into your nation. Presently, your borders are left unguarded. There is no watchman on the walls. 
there's no guardsmen watching your borders therefore being defenseless evil perpetrators have entered into your nation causing confusion and causing corruption and causing intermingling raise up defenders guard your walls guard your borders and raise up your borders against europe this is the word of the lord raise up your borders from the northernmost tip all the way to the southernmost tip of at dover raise up a wall to withstand behold the dragon will not allow you to depart peacefully therefore raise up your walls against all the onslaught of the enemy that will be spewed vomited against you thank you wonderful god thank you wonderful god take hold of god right now will you take hold of god will you right now purpose in your heart to consecrate yourself afresh to dedicate yourself afresh you open your heart and you make yourself known to god right now i'm going to ask pastor andy to come and lead us in the prayer soon as brother sadu came up to preach this is the verse that the lord gave me if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways i will hear from heaven and will forgive them their sin and heal their land and father this is what we ask 
as we humble ourselves before you. Lord, we have had the prophet come in who has given us a clear word to repent and turn from our wicked ways. And Father, I pray now, will you raise up now across this land the watchkeepers? Will you raise up the, the, the ones that will bring in your presence? Will you raise up the ones that will go into their heavenlies and war with you against the evil holds that want to come against this land? And I pray, Lord, where there is division, bring unity. That together we stand. And Father, we want to shout out your truths across this land. We want to shout off the confusion that is amongst our young people about their sexuality. And Father, we ask you now to give this land a heart for you and for what you stand for. That our laws will be based upon your laws. And Father, we pray now, give us a heart that burns for you and for the righteousness of heaven across this land. And Father, I pray now, let this nation become a praying nation. That we will turn from our wicked ways. We will hear, you will hear our voices in heaven and heal our land. Heal our land. And Father, I pray for every Buddhist, for every Hindu, for every Muslim and non-believer in this land. That Father, that a spirit will move across this nation that will bring in these people, that they will become radical, not for Islam or Buddhism or Hindus, but they become radical believers for you. And that Lord, they will become our greatest evangelists to go into the nations of Islam and become seed for your light. But Father, I pray now for us here tonight that, Lord, we do not want to stand before you when you ask us the question, what did you do with that word? Father, I pray that we will not be found wanting. But Lord, we will answer this call to arms when our greatest weapon is prayer. So Father, I pray now, let your word sink in tonight as we sleep in deep slumber that you will put into us what we need for this hour. Lord, give us a heart for you more than we've ever had before. Lord, let us be right for the season that we're in. But Lord, we ask for revival of this land. Revival, Lord. We cry out, Lord, you love mercy over judgment. 
and we cry out to you tonight. Lord, have mercy on us in this land for turning and allowing this land to turn away from your ways. But I pray now, Lord, tonight that you are raising up a body of people whose voices will be heard in heaven. I see the prophet Daniel as he cried out for Israel knowing that the prophecies of Jeremiah (coughs) were about to be fulfilled and the people were going to be released. But Daniel put aside a time of prayer praying for the nation. Lord, I pray that every person in this room will set time aside to pray for this nation. In your mighty, wonderful name. Amen and amen. Amen. Can can I make a, a suggestion, please? That tomorrow, tomorrow, that we gather here for as many people that can make it. I understand that some people have to work. But can we gather here at 5 o'clock and pray up until 6.30? Can we gather in, in one accord to come together and pray for this nation? That our voices, listen, the Lord has an ear for the remnant. So if we gather together and cry out to God to turn this nation around. And I want to challenge you. We as a church, we meet every second Saturday where we set that whole day aside to pray for this nation and for whatever the Lord shows us through the power of the Holy Spirit to pray for. And a lot of that is in tongues. Exactly what Brother Sadhu was saying. We engage in the heavenly realm by using the tongue. And I know that in London, I know many of you from London, I want to say, will you please put time aside on the last Saturday of every month to get with uh, Jesus Ministries. I know most of you will know Abby and Io, but, but to get alongside them on that Saturday and pray for the nation in London. Will you do that? Okay. Organize them. Bring them together. Come on, let's get the youth on board. So we're going to open the doors quarter to five and if those who can make it to pray for this nation. And and, and we're good prayers. We've got some good prayer warriors. So Richard, can I ask you to lead that tomorrow? Is that all right? Will you be able to make it? Yeah? Fantastic. And I know that it's gone after 10 o'clock. Can I please ask you, you know, not to linger too much because of what's being said. We need to digest this. We don't just want to go into idle chatter. We want the Lord to minister to us, to make this sink in. But can I ask you please, you know, we've got neighbors that will have to go to work tomorrow. Will you please lead very quietly and respectfully, not making too much noise? That would be fantastic. And we will open the doors at quarter to five tomorrow to pray. 
But for those that are coming later, please can you be sat down and ready to worship at 6.30. God bless you. May God keep you and give you a heart and eyes to hear and understand. God bless you.